This is Jello Chow Chow, the all Jello show. If you even think of hanging up or leaving the room for a scotch, we will murder you. Now listen, Great Creeperson and the Phantom Eric and Chris want to take you on a ride through dark alleys and bright rooms, long stairways, and backstage at the art gallery. If you want to live, you'll don your black gloves and join them for the ride. Jallo Chow Chow, the Jallo Superstore, where Black Friday is a thing of the past, and Yellow Tuesday is the new future. Yeah, so. Yellow Tuesday, that's awesome. <laughs> What'd you guys do for Black Glove Friday? I didn't do a fucking thing, dude. No. I went to work. Did you wow. fight people Thank in the you. store? I didn't, yeah, I didn't go to any stores. I had a second Thanksgiving <laughs> with more food. That's awesome. I pretty much ate a whole pumpkin pie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I why not? my whole family drink milk. Warm, warm milk from the carton. Yeah. Instead of wine. You're gross. You have a tree, I see. Crepe. Oh shit! You can see that, huh? It's right. It's yeah. right. It's right there. It's, it's on that side of the place. Yeah, it's on a table because my new stupid dog will fucking eat it. <laughs> so it's like up super high. And he's got a tree. Look at that. Your dog has a tree? No, Eric's got a tree. Oh, Eric. <laughs> So, um, tonight... His name is Douglas. Ah, Douglas! That's good. I like that. Um, tonight we are going to find out what the strange vice of Miss Mord is. And it's going to be super fun because this is the episode 49 Spectacular! Ah! Jello, so, what's spectacular about it? Um, Eric, was this the first time for this for you? Sure was. Yee. So we'll get cracking on that. Is there any Jalo news in the headlines? Um, no. Is there was there some sort of release information that was? 
I see that there's a Mondo Macabro Lizard in a Woman's Skin Blu-ray that we probably already talked about that has come out. Uh, we were talking about this movie called Top Sensation. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. Um, that is apparently the other Jalo that we did not know about that Edwidge is in. That's not really considered a Jalo, but kind of considered a Jalo. Right. And apparently did there's like like three-way lesbo stuff happening in there, which is why we really need to cover it. <laughs> did you watch it? No, no. I actually um, found a copy, but I haven't watched it yet. Let's see if I can share my screen here for a second. And, we'll have to uh, change the name of the show to Jello Chow Chow Chow. That's good. That's good. Okay, for the audio listeners, we're waiting for Chris to share his screen. Because yeah. I have a feeling he's got some dirty girdies to show oh, us. Just like. I just suck at Google Hangouts. There's, there's no way around it. Oh, here we go. There it is. Uh, That's me. You guys see that? Yeah. So, you see the boob banner censored for Facebook? Yeah. Pretty cool. So, I guess this is the shameless DVD or forthcoming shameless DVD for Top Sensation. And uh, I don't know anything about it. Sorry for the yawning. Haven't had the co coffee yet. Do um, you know what year this was? Uh, no. Um, who wow. was? That's what you know, 1969. Nice. Yeah, I'm, I'd like to, to try it out and see it, how it works on the Jello store. Uh, was Five Dolls 70? Or... Yeah, I think so. Yeah, because that was the movie that he made the same year Argento made The Bird, right? That made him want to make Bay of Blood, if I recall. Yeah, is, and... that how, is that how it went? I think that's how it went. So Five Dolls came out at the same time as Bird? Yeah. You're saying that that bird inspired Baba to make Bay of Blood? Well, no, just the or fact the other way that, around. that bird was so violent and graphic, right? That he was like, I could do that. Well, and yeah, you can you can see in some of the pictures of this Top Sensation movie that Edwidge look that is kind of the same look that she has in um, in Five Dolls with the big hair. And we lost Eric. Oh no. There he goes. Am I still uh, sharing a screen? Yeah, sorry. <laughs> um, yeah. So was all of that stuff me um, <laughs> uh, quickly Googling and whatnot? That was all. Yeah. On, oh, that's great. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Um, Eric says, well, that well, didn't take long. Yeah. Um, let me see if he's going to try to come back. Uh, 
Is it because of the snow? I don't know. He just said his internet's been acting real funny. Um, oh, there he is. And there's Butt Douglas diving for a reception. <laughs> Yay! Hello! Again. So what part of the movie are we in? Uh, <laughs> okay. Well, let me get crack-a-lacking here, because um, if you guys did not know this, I love me some Edwidge, and I love me some Sergio Martino. So this is a very good movie for me to love all over. So <laughs> let me tell you a little bit about the strange vice of Mrs. Ward, a.k.a. Blade of the Ripper, a.k.a. Lo Strano Visio de la Señora Ward. A.k.a. Yeah. Next. A.k.a. Next, yeah, with an X. You both say that at the same time? That's funny. No, you I said it first, but... Oh, wait, Eric said it, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm getting ahead of myself here. So, an ambassador's wife discovers that one of the men in her life, either her <laughs> husband, an ex-lover, or current lover, may be a vicious serial killer. <laughs> now, I don't know if you guys saw this, but while I was doing that, I gleeked the biggest gleek all over my computer screen. Nice. So that's right. disgusting. Yeah. Take a moment to compose yourself. Yeah. <laughs> While I say that was a that was a great introduction to this film. I hope you yeah. use that anytime you decide to narrate one of your audiobooks. Yeah. That that's the narration voice. Yeah. So in reading that, it makes Miss Ward sound like a total whore. Well she is. <laughs> She is, but when you watch it, you feel so sorry for her the whole yeah. time. Yeah, well, she's, she's a tormented so, and and distraught like whore. In distress. <laughs> yeah, it's okay to feel bad for a whore. No, just I just. Whore, <laughs> I mean, this makes her sound like a fucking hooker. Yeah, like, but let's say up. let's let's think about this. So she had this crazy relationship with a guy who would smash her and beat her and then have sex with her that she loved. So she married another guy to get away from him, and then she starts cheating on him with another guy. With her friend's cousin, who her friend said, I don't care if he's my cousin. I'm <laughs> I go think to town with him. Yeah, dude. That Sexual was real revolution. That was we a know bit creepy there. That girl, um, I didn't really know this, but the girl who played that character, well, not only was she in Torso, yeah. Carol. She was in Torso, but she also did a lot of producing. Uh-huh. I, I didn't know this at all. I looked her up in, on uh, IMDb, and she's listed as a producer for a lot of, like, newer films. Mm-hmm. And I had no idea. Like, some uh-huh. of them that are, like, um, popular, like, mainstream. Yeah, yeah totally. Um, I heard she's in Paris now. Working as a producer in um, she is French I like her in the movie I think she was, I think she's fun to watch in this movie I like her yeah. in everything I liked her a lot in torso so I was very happy to, to see her in her like her full lips again yeah I liked her better in this than in torso in torso she was just kind of like the right the this the pot smoking whore right and in this one she's yeah. the ticket collecting shopping whore 
With blonde hair. Yes. With a blonde wig, almost, it looked like. Yeah. Um, so, this movie, as it's going, um, to give you a little bit of background, since that other thing was a little strange, <laughs> basically, there is a sex maniac on the loose in Milan. Or, no, Venice, right? No, they're in Austria. It took me a few yeah. times to watch this to figure this out, but they were in Vienna. Vienna, that's right. So they're in Vienna, and there's um, a sex maniac with a razor blade running around. Um, not a razor blade like from a Bic, but like a straight razor. <laughs> and he's like slicing bitches up, okay? And then all of a sudden... As um, Edwidge, who plays a character named Julie, as she's um, beginning very intimate with uh, George, played by George Hilton, a stranger starts spying on her and making phone calls saying that he has proof that she's a skanky hoe and to meet her or to meet him so they could discuss this or whatnot. So instead of her going herself, her luscious lipped blonde friend Carol goes to this very weird park to meet this supposed peeping Tomothy and gets murdered with a razor. So it looks like the razor serial killer might be coming after Julie next mm. exclamation point all the while she's unsure if it's Jean her lover who used to cut her because the sight of blood not only disgusted her but made her extremely randy in the special no-no place <laughs> <laughs> and she thought it was him. Could it? So be? you think that's her strange vice? I mean, did we yes. already solve the mystery? Well, the strange vice is like her fascination with blood. Yeah. Um, okay. During sexual innuendos. Yeah, her masochist uh, tendencies. Right. That's so her strange solved vice. It. Solved, them, yeah. solved what we set out to do. Yeah, we can we can <laughs> we call it a night. Spoiler alert, and it's over. <laughs> so um, this movie is extremely beautiful extremely weird um, and when you actually start talking about it it makes you realize what a I don't want to say piece of ass because that's not the word I'm looking for but how Edwidge could play this part and still come out smelling like roses yeah. because if you actually say all of the stuff that <laughs> her character's into and what she does and it's just like oh this chick deserves every fucking thing that she gets but for some reason because it's her it's just like oh poor baby and you just want to pet her head yeah and she still feels dead inside at the end yeah and I mean I'm pretty sure she's um, been laying on Freud's couch, if you get my drift. 
with the doctor there <laughs> at the very very end yeah that's a huge spoiler um but anyway so another thing about this film that is very intriguing to me is that it has about three or four different places where the movie can end and it keeps going and yeah. every time you think the movie's over you're like oh shit and then it just keeps going and you're like what the fuck's happening now so um it's it makes for a really fun viewing eric did you enjoy that aspect of the film um i did i did actually write explicitly in my notes that the film it just seems to fall apart i think um somewhere in the middle you know maybe towards one of the actually maybe a little bit further towards the end um which where i thought it would have been more of a natural conclusion uh and to be honest i was bit worried a bit scared to come into this discussion and talk about the film talk about its ending just because i don't even know where to start with with where it's going and and where it ends up and it's it's just yeah like uh i think chris t told us earlier today that none of it seems like it would make sense in real life and i would like to hear his his uh reasoning behind that because i didn't think anything from yeah i i kind of agree with that sentiment myself but I, I was having a hard time trying to put that in words as I was coming up with my thoughts for tonight and I just um, I was I was digging the style of it I was really enjoying seeing lots of Edwidge either when she was unclothed or just wearing really high skirts but once it got to trying to deliver some sort of a plot it just seemed very odd and um, I kind of wished it would have gone back towards the beginning where it was going, and, and it didn't. So, so are you basically like when the movie? I think one of the. Let me start with this. I think one of the biggest, um, like what the fuck moments, and we lost Chris. It's okay. Mm. Um, one of the biggest what the fuck moments for me was when you finally see the killer. And it's yeah. not anyone you've seen at all in the whole fucking movie. Okay. So yeah, if we're we're gonna talk about that, and that's the that's the exact point where I kind of lost, um, lost my cool with this movie. And to throw yeah, throw a spoiler out there, it, it, they find out that this razor killer was actually just a, a red herring that they were using. They were kind of, you know, basically using this guy who was already out there killing all these women as a front for them to get away with their dirty deeds and not look like the bad guys and or once that was explained i was just i was a little bit upset and felt like i was taken for a ride and didn't i didn't like that feeling see now i had the exact opposite where when i saw that it was no one who i had seen before in the movie or whatever i was confused as all fucking hell but then once I, yeah it was like I was confused but once I realized that um, George Hilton was in on the stuff that was going on and that Jean wasn't really dead and all that shit then I was like oh okay now it's starting to kind of make sense to me um, so but that is definitely one of the points where I think most people would um, 
kind of just check out because it takes a good 15 minutes, I think, after that reveal before you find out who the killer is. Yeah. And there's then, a lot of points in the movie where it kind of, there's far too long of a span between something that happened and then something else where you almost forget about a lot of different things. Yeah. So as far as the first part of the movie, um, like the whole deal with the introduction to George Hilton's character and um, Ivan Rossimov's uh, Jean character and her life being married to a diplomat or whatever, um, you were digging that part of the movie and that was good with you? Yeah, uh, it just, you know, getting to know these characters, building up the characterization of each one of them. Uh, I thought that the vignettes, when they would, you know, there were those flashbacks with Edwidge and uh, Jean. I just thought those were so so well done by Martino and his cinematographer. Um, it felt, I mean, whether or not this that's actually how it happened, you know, champagne bottles busting open over on her like a, a porno money shot. Yeah. Uh, it was it was just done really well, and you know, it looked almost dreamlike, but once. Once they kind of started deviating from that plot and, um, you know, I don't know, just trying to throw a bunch of twists at you with abandon, it just kind of felt a little unearned to me. I wanted to I wanted to know more, get deeper into the plot of these characters, and it just felt like, I don't know, it came out of left field, and I did, didn't really appreciate that. But I, I did, like, did like the beginning a whole lot with all the different... Um, you know, introductions of these characters and finding out piece by piece uh, who Julia Ward really was. You know, she was just this trophy wife who married a, an ambassador to, to feel safer, but she really, really wanted to keep digging into that the, the vice that she had. Um, for me, I think the part where the movie kind of started to drag is when um, her husband decided he was going to go see Jean and yes. I thought for sure that that would be an exciting moment like oh this is going to be really really cool but it yeah. just like went so slow and I know it was trying to be suspenseful but it just wasn't suspenseful until they get in the bathroom I think it was a time filler yeah too. I think it was that's kind of like the longest sequence in the movie I don't know. I, I, just, back. I just want to. I just want to break in and say that um, I, I have gone for the last two months without saying anything about why I'm unhappy with this iMac that I purchased, and now I'm going publicly, <laughs> and 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 I'm going to say it out loud now because I didn't want to say it out loud because then I would be admitting failure to my own brain. But this fucking computer sucks. It crashes at least three times a week. And I don't know why. It's supposed to be like Macs are supposed to be the gods of hardware and nothing ever crashes. But I'm here to tell you the latest iMac, it's a beautiful screen. I love using it when it works, but it crashes so often. And of course, Apple will blame it on the software I'm using. Um, but I've never had a PC act this quirky before. So um, that's all I have to say. I'm back. Um, right. I mean,. God forbid I should have six tabs open in Chrome at the same time, because that's all that was going on. Sounds like you have a strange vice. What's yeah, going on in those tabs? <laughs> well, 
I'm trying to cross-reference stuff here, guys. Oh, right, right. Um, yeah, uh, so I kind of caught the beginning of what Eric was saying, and I caught the end of it. And I think it's funny because I thought that the movie um, kind of dragged up until the part where um, Carol goes out to the Pullman house to do this little um, rendezvous with the killer. I thought once the movie started uh, at that point, other than, like Creep said, the, the scene where um, Julie and her husband go out to um, see Jean in his house, I thought that's when the movie started to kick up. I thought the beginning of the movie was, I mean, certainly I understand that they uh, are trying to establish these relationships, and I always like to quote uh, Creep when I can. And it's not a direct quote, but Creep has said, Creep has said many times that when there's a film that has George Hilton and those other two guys, you know it's one of them, and that's the end of the story. Like you basically just say, okay, it's, but I have to just pick one. I have a 33% chance of getting it right. The funny part was in this movie, and I'm going to spoil it. It's all of them, which is awesome. It's like the coolest thing. Like you can't. The reason why that never happened again is because Martino did it first. Then he had a whole bunch of other films with these guys in it, and he said, well, I'm not going to do that again. I've got to have just one killer. So in case of The Scorpion's Tale, we had one of them. Um, and then I think the guy who played... Um, the guy who played Julie's husband was the guy in Forbidden Photos, right? He played the husband in that movie, which is not a Martino film. I th uh, but I think... He, um, he played the killer in Perversion Story. Too, didn't he? I mean, killer is like a term used. He yeah, was yeah, the yeah. Mm -hmm. brother. Yeah. yeah, he was the brother, right? Exactly. So, um, yeah, I think that the uh, well, I mean, I've seen Strange Vice a whole bunch of times. I've seen it in the theater a couple of times, um, and it really, you know, watching it today and trying to kind of think about things to talk about, and in knowing pretty much scene by scene how the movie goes I you, at that point you start to watch it for the, some of the things that you've missed or some of you know an alternative way of appreciating it or maybe rethinking that maybe you don't like it as much as you think you do or vice versa like sometimes you watch a movie that you really love the very first time and the second time you're like it's not as good as I thought it was uh, or the opposite happens where you know you like say the strange color of your body's tears the first time I watched it it was it was kind of hard to get through and I didn't like it the second time through I kind of latched on to it a little bit more with this film I've seen it so many times that I really do like it and I'm not gonna change how much I like the film I mean, it's got so much going for it between Edwidge and the music. That one theme that they play over and over again, it sounds like church music. It reminds me of being in church. Um, and that's the theme that they reused in Kill Bill during the scene where um, Bill's brother at the trailer park was talking about how she's going to come back and she's going to have her revenge or whatever. And I went back and watched that just to make sure that that was the scene. But um, at any rate, uh, I love I love the movie for lots of reasons. But one of the reasons I don't love it is because uh, I like to try and reconcile and logically piece together all the things that are happening. Um, and you can't really do that with this one because it's just like from one scene to the next, none of the motives. Like if if you're trying to if you're watching it knowing what the motives are 
um, for the three guys in the movie, and then you're like, okay, well, I know what's happening off screen because I've seen this before. It doesn't line up anyway. Like, a particular example is when Julie and um, George are in Spain, and Julie uh, gets the last bouquet of flowers. And she turns around and she's standing and she's looking for George and somebody shoots a harpoon at her and it misses her and hits a tire. And I'm, and I'm like, okay, but wasn't the whole plan to try to make it look like she killed herself? So how is the harpoon supposed to help? Like that just doesn't go with anything. So like what if that harpoon had hit her? Then, you know, so that was just supposed to be something to make the scene tense or to make the audience jump it wasn't really to lend to the story at all because the the story is basically a, a recap of what uh, strangers on a train basically the same idea of let's well it's, let's swat it's let's. On the train but um martino said that the biggest um thing influence wise was uh, uh diabolique mm. where Which i haven't seen i haven't seen that oh that's great that's such a good movie but um like that movie it's it's weird because that movie inspired everybody from hitchcock to all of these guys um just to kind of push the envelope a little bit but kind of what he did in this and i hope this doesn't spoil too much of it for you but uh, in diabolique it's about a woman a wife and a uh a dude's mistress who decide to kill the yeah. husband kind of like the reverse yeah um, they join forces like, to kill one person instead of yeah but you know that kind of earlier in the story right. than find out in this that's that's what my big problem with with this was is that okay fine it's a it's a conspiracy you know they're on this together and like Chris said they tried to give them the motives as they're riding in this car swerving across the road for kids and the, that's the only, to me that's the only part where the movie like jumps the shark to where it can't come back. <laughs> like, is this, is this it's almost action? over at that point, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, is, yeah. is he gonna hit like a oil slick and go off the road? Is that gonna be <laughs> all this ends? But um, they're just trying to spew out these motives one after the other. Oh, you did this because you wanted this money, but I, then I needed your help to get this money. It's like they're throwing this all at you so fast because they wanted to hide this twist for so long that it right. just feel right and with Diabolique it's like the conspiracy is out there and you're like alright now I'm going to watch how this plays out are they going to succeed or are yeah. they going to fail and, and you didn't get any of you didn't get to go along with that ride on this one which is what I think is what bothered me well and the it, part you know, that bothered me that was that all of a sudden like she knew, the cops knew the doctor knew that they would be on this one road in fucking Switzerland at yeah, this exact and, moment and you're talking about that, the cops and the doctor from Spain who went all yeah. the way to Vienna to, to, to set up the sting operation yeah I mean it's so far fetched it's unbelievable but that's I mean like I have to put that aside because I really like Creep was saying I like I like all the stuff like from from the time when Carol goes to the park and that that park scene is so gorgeously filmed it's like it's unbelievably like tense and 
and and these humongous wide shots of of uh, of of the grounds with Carol walking around and you know the camera angles from the bottom and stuff. Um, it's really atmospheric, and I love that that whole scene. But starting from that, I mean, you have that, and you have um, well, even before that, we had that motorcycle. Uh, thing with Julie, and then you have the, um... That was dangerous as all hell. It looked yeah, like they almost hit a car was, like, like swerving, like, like a maniac. That could have been the end of my Edwidge, dude. <laughs> that would have been awful. I don't think she was on the back of that when they were going fast, though. I think that was a stunt, know, stunt Julie. Yeah. Um, I don't think they had stunt Julies. She wasn't big but, time yet. But so, I mean, like, this movie just has all of those kind of set pieces where... They're so good that you just don't give a shit about why the plot is so bad. Between the motorcycle thing and the scene where Julie and George are having sex and the weird music with the flutes and the and the guy who's who's um, spying on them, and then you have that scene where Julie comes back and uh, she gets stalked in the uh, car part, like in the car garage, mm-hmm. and goes up the elevator. Um, you know, just one really cool scene after the next, and I love the, the I love the the part where Jean comes in and puts her fingerprints on the tape and puts the gas and then gets the ice cube and sticks the ice cube in the door so it looks like ice the cube is freaking brilliant. She hermetically sealed it, and it was so cool. Um, and then, like you were saying, like you know, the the twists, the twist was okay. So George was in on it. Um, and he, you know, if he was really in on it, he did a good job of pretending he wasn't in on it. It looked like he was really into Julian. He probably was while she was still alive. You know, he was like into being her lover, and then, but really, it didn't matter because he was trying to kill her anyway. But then after Jean gets shot in that awesome like Western influenced scene with the the mirror aviator shades and the yeah. and, and the bullet shot out in the out in the the showdown scene, and then you know they come back to this kind of uh, solemn, somber scene of Julie's husband. He arrives on the train and he's just walking slowly and he gets into his car and then all of a sudden uh, we see George and it's like, oh, twist number three, you know, and then um, then she's standing there and it's twist number four and it's like, it's, it, it's, it's a fun film uh, for me. I, I don't really mind the fact that it doesn't make much sense. Like, like some of the other questions that you would ask would be um, who you know at what point did are we supposed to are we supposed to realize that the killer that is you know which, at what point are we supposed to realize which killer is which like the the person who spied on uh, Julie and George when they were having sex who was that was that Jean or was that her husband I mean, they definitely try to make it look like John, I think. And the guy who called uh, on the phone to tell... Um, well, she said she knew it was John's voice, but it was, like, weird. Disguised. So it probably him. was him. And then... Um, but the her husband killed Carol. And then... Uh, John killed Julia. Or Julie. Or tried to, yeah. Well, who yeah. tried to who tried to kill her in the in the garage? Was that Jean or was that George? That well, George was probably was George. Yeah, because Jean or her husband was up in the apartment when she got up there, right? 
Yeah. So, that one so, we, so we had multiple killers in this one for sure. Yeah. Now, what movie was that that had the apartment in it? Oh, the uh, Red Queen. That's the right. Same, the same apartment, but it's so oh. much, so much better in this film it because is. you get to see the very tops of those those columns that have like three or four levels of of circles around them at the ceiling. The words are amazing. Yeah, the everything. Amazing. The wallpaper sucks ass. No, like, I love the I've wallpaper. I've been on the fence with that wallpaper ever since I first saw this movie. And I've come to the conclusion that that wallpaper looks like weird paper towel roll. It's awesome. And, just... and it goes really well with the wallpaper in the bathroom, too. You know what goes really good with that bathroom? Her leaning over to turn on the water. <laughs> oh, that's like the best you know, shot in any movie. <laughs> you know how we talked about several several podcasts ago? We talked about um, tubs and where the faucets are on tubs in Italy. Um, in this movie, there's there's actually two different setups. So if you look at the tub in Julie Ward's place, she actually ha- she obviously has the faucet on the one end because she's standing leaning over to the one end to turn on the on the faucet. But the girl who had the paper dress who gets killed, she's like the second um, she's the second victim of the of the razor killer. She has the faucet right in the middle of the bathtub and the shower is actually right in the middle as well. So she's so it's it's a it's a different setup. So I just, I just thought that was interesting because we talked and about that before. Ivan's faucet was at the end as well, yeah. or Jean's, wasn't it, at the end? Jean. The leaky... I think so, yeah. Um, but anyway, um, I did have some uh, little fun tidbits. Do you guys have tidbits? Oh, what I was going to say, too, um, I'm sure it was done before this, but I can't think of any off the top of my head, but the scene in the parking garage with the killer, her hiding in the car, getting into the elevator, and then his hand comes into the elevator. I wonder how much of that was done for the first time. Because that scene has been copied so many times in so many movies, and I can't think of anything that predates this film for that. Mm -mm. Well, I mean, with my limited exposure, I can't think of anything either. Yeah, I'm sure mine's, there is. Yeah, mine's much more limited than than Chris's, but I do know that this is has to be at least the first one that I've seen like this, and and uh, I re- I really like that scene a lot. And I know I've been kind of harsh harsh on this film. Um, it's just this love hate thing I have with Sergio Martino. I I think some of his films stand out for me the most. Um, they are very aesthetically pleasing, and this film, no doubt, is probably one of the most, even though it's his first yellow. Um, I think I, I think a lot about what when back to when Chris said that you know a lot of people didn't didn't watch these movies more than once and when they did watch them it was not very attentively and so I, I have been pretty harsh on this film I'm just trying to set people up who haven't seen it um, but I guess then if they hadn't seen it then they wouldn't listen to the spoilers but it's just um, it's a it's a very exciting and fun movie to watch and um, lot, lots of lots of great visuals. The uh, one in the bathroom, of course, being one of those. 
But uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, and and what I was saying about the beginning being a little slow, it isn't even that slow because the characters are fun to watch. So you know, they're setting up Carol and George and the husband and Jean and the flashbacks, and nothing really happens other than a couple of random slasher murders until um, Carol goes to the park, and then you kind of start the second half of the film. Um, but it's still not a slow film. I think, the, like, like Creep said, the only time the film starts to drag is when they do that scene where they're investigating Jean's house. So even though, even though I didn't really like the beginning of the film because it dragged, it didn't really drag that much because it's fun to watch the characters and that scene at the party is really cool and the apartment is really cool and uh, you know the, the the motorcycle scene is pretty cool so it's it it's just a fun movie I think it's a good point Eric again that we bring this up and we bring it up over and over again with with these films which is that you know when these were made no one expected anybody to watch them six or seven or eight times and and have you know uh, a podcast or a Google hangout where we started <laughs> picking them apart i mean they just went to see the film and like you know they paid a little bit you know attention to what was going on and wait who's the killer and wait is that the slasher guy or is that the other guy and you know is he alive still or is he not alive you know that all that stuff you know it's well for a minute there i didn't think i was gonna get my bratwurst i don't get it crickets that's what carol said at the restaurant oh <laughs> um, I was paying too much attention to the apple, <laughs> apple analogies. Oh, the apple was so the, stupid. The apple, yes. Now <laughs> the apple, yeah. You think okay, of me. so on. Um, I don't know if you guys saw the um, on the DVD. There's a uh, interview with Sergio Martino. Have you guys? No. Okay. Well, um, I have a, a paraphrased version of, like, interesting tidbits here. Um, now, he said he took the plot from Le Diabolique, but um, he said he also already used that in uh, um, a movie he did before this called The Sweet Body of Deborah. Oh, right. Okay. With Carol Baker. And I have not seen that. Oh, Chris isn't in his chair anymore. I went to go... Um... Find oh. my no shame copy because I I haven't watched it from the DVD in a while. Um, was it Sweet Body of Deborah? I know there was a there was another that, that was like his like proto Jalo kind of thing, right? Yeah. But anyway, um, he just wanted to amp it up a little bit. Um, now Carol Baker was actually supposed to play Julie in this. Um, but his brother insisted on using Edwidge, and um, he had worked with her uh, quite a few times in comedies, but he never thought that she would be able to play like um, anything dramatic because he just didn't think she could do that because she was so good in comedies. Right. Um, and he put her in against his better judgment kind of thing, and um, even after the movie, he was kind of unsure, but the audience loved her so much that it was his first really big hit of a movie. And it played for six weeks straight in Rome, and he had never had anything like that before. 
And um, so it was just really successful. But if you think about this movie with Carol Baker in it, Oof. yeah, dude, like, I, mean, I don't know if it makes a little more sense because, um, you know, a lot of this film doesn't take place in Italy. It takes place in these, you know, I guess it does have some in Spain, but it's mostly in Austria, which Carol Baker, I think, might fit in as a, uh, a German Austrian type of woman better. Um, so I could see that, but was was Edwidge married to Sergio's brother at this time? Yet, yeah. Or, yeah. I think okay. so. so yeah. That's probably, that's probably I just I don't see Carol Baker as the 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 slut that Edwidge yeah. is. Point. Not, not not. I mean, it would be it would be a stretch for yeah. her as an actress, but I don't think we would have felt as sorry for her. Yeah. Definitely. You know? Right. I mean, Carol Baker, I know that she... I love Carol Baker, but I don't I, think she, she could have done that. She plays, like, the, I haven't seen all of the uh, of the Umberto Lenzi movie that he did with her. Um, I think it's called Orgasmo, maybe. Um, where things, you know, like where she's really kind of slutty. I just remember her from the film where she played the person who doesn't speak. Um, yeah. And she just yeah, looks right. like she looks a little bit like a cross between um, Leave It to Beaver's mom and Gidget, and so <laughs> she, I don't and see she looks her. Like freaking Marilyn Munster. Yeah, there you go, there you go. Marilyn Munster is exactly right. Was it She's... Pat Priest or what was the other one? I don't think it was Pat Priest. I think it was the one before that she looks like. Right. Whatever. So I'm um, glad they didn't pick her. Yeah. Um, he also said that, um, he and Argento would share stuff with each other, like, after this point on, and he thinks that, um, <clears throat> Argento took his scene from this movie in the park to do the scene in the park, uh, was that in... Four Flies, yeah. Yeah, I was going to say that, too. I mean, it's... it's uh, well, and what was the other movie? Um, Tenebrae, we just covered last last time, where we were talking about the difference between... Um, or was, was that the movie we were talking... Or there was another movie where the person goes out to the park uh, to wait for someone. And was it Tenebrae? Or was it... What did we do before Tenebrae? Oh, no, we did that... Uh, prof- profumo thing yeah, that, that wasn't it. Must be what you're thinking about. I guess Woo! I'm thinking about Tenebrae. I think you're um, thinking about Profumo. I am. <laughs> I, I didn't. I didn't want to remember, but I remember. A couple minutes a day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, but I, I. I don't know. I think that. I. I don't. If you had to judge between the two, I think that this, you know, in the park scene is more effective than the one in Four Flies. Although I do I do like the way Argento did that thing where they did this jump cut kind of thing where all of a sudden she I guess she lost track of time and she looks up and she sees all of the things that she was looking at where the, all the people were there and then all of a sudden they're gone and they just kind of switch off. Weird for me, but yeah. yeah. I thought that was cool, but I think that the atmosphere that Martino did with this one where she's walking around and she's walking here and she's walking there and then she goes over and she talks to the guy and he says, well, you better hurry up because the gates are going to close soon. 
and then she gets attacked. I mean, I don't know. I really like that scene. I thought it was one of the best scenes of the film, for sure. Um, Martino also said that um, Ivan Rasimov and the guy who played the detective, I can't remember what his name is, um, but they're good luck charms to him, so he puts them in everything he makes as long as, it, as they all say they do it. So, like, um, even the the guy who played the detective, I think he said he had been in every single one of his movies in some part, whether it was just, like, a two-second thing or a... He's like the Cliff Clavin of Pixar movies. We're... The, nah. the guy who plays Cliff Clavin has a voice in every Pixar movie. Well, that guy, he played uh, the guy who gets run over by the train in Cat of Nine Tales, mm -hmm. in Argento's Cat of Nine Tales. But um, we didn't talk about this very much. Um, this film is very much lacking in amateur detective. And so much so that there isn't even a, very much of a police presence in this film. So, like, no one's really trying to solve any crimes here. It's like we're just following Julie and kind of we're just well, watching. The why her. everyone in the movie besides Julie's in on it. Right. Yeah. But, but, but because this, you know, being a giallo for the most part, and we expect there to be somebody trying to solve the crime, this one is kind of unique in that um, we're just following Julie from one stage to the next of her going a little bit more crazy you know each time something happens um and that i thought that was interesting because i i remember when i scored this i'm like oh there's no amateur detective in this and i didn't even remember that there was a police there, that there was any police presence in this movie at all and they only show up when carol is killed right that's the first time we even see the, the police because yeah they're really not involved at all when the slasher is doing uh, the other the other two... Well, in the beginning of the movie, they stop their car. Right. And ask for her passport. But other than that, there's no cops in it. Yeah. yeah. Well, that, that Razor Killer is so much on the periphery at the beginning of the film that it's... I think it's... I counted almost 40 minutes or 40-something minutes until there was even a, a second or third killing. Um, maybe I missed one, but it was... You know, you had the one in the, in the bathtub and then Carol... Um, there right. might have been one at the very beginning that I'm not remembering, but it's just because there's such a long span. And I think Chris, you were gone. You had your iMac had crashed on you when we talked about this. But it's there's, there's so many um, moments that happen in this film, and then they pad a bunch of stuff in between, and then something else that should naturally have followed that scene is comes like 20 minutes later. So it creates kind of this disjointed feeling, and I think that lack of police presence has a lot to do with that. They're just trying to pad time where usually those police detective procedural scenes would, would take precedence. Because they're missing, you get a lot of these additional scenes that don't fit. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and and that's and that's partly because it's hard to for I guess as trying to make this film, it's hard to you know, they had to find some sort of a balance between giving the audience these uh, kill scenes, these kind of tense stock and slash type scenes, um, and then establishing the characters. And so I kind of, it kind of all came together. So the very, very first scene before the, before, right as the credits are finishing, 
is the the slasher picks up the hooker and kills her right by the airport. And then the second yeah. murder is the girl in the bathtub after she comes home from the party. Right, okay. And, and the what third, is the, what the is third the one Oh, sorry, the, I have I have all the translations. I was bored at work, so I ran them through Google. Um, but I was going to say the third one is Carol, and so Carol, it's kind of like the the turning point of the entire movie is again Carol going out instead of Julie. Um, and that's my other question: How did George and Julie's husband know that it was going to be Carol that went out to the park and not Julie? Like, did they? Did they just realize that, okay, well, I'm not going to kill my own wife, so you have to go and kill Julie. But then they said, well, wait a minute, it's Carol, so now you have to put on the hat and gloves, and you have to go out and kill her. Because I was going to say, if they both just said, if they were both there, and whoever the other chick was, then their motive or their alibi would be shit. Right. Where were you when this person was killed while I was in the park? I was right. Yeah, well, that's right where the body killer. was. <laughs> <laughs> so that whole shit doesn't work at all. But the um, the thing that the thing that is on screen right after the um, credits roll says the very fact that the commandment tells us "Thou shall not kill" makes us aware and confident that we are descended from an unbroken chain of generations of murderers whose love to kill was in their blood and perhaps ours as well. And then it's, cred it's credited to Sigmund Freud. Um, I also have the translations of all of the flowers, flower cards. Um, but, I mean, you know, what does that have to do with anything? It's kind of like... Um, when we watched that what have you done to their daughters and there was a couple of uh, quotes at the beginning at the end of the film that talked about society and corruption and you know it's like uh, I guess they want to try to make a little bit of a social commentary here but I think Martino did that with uh, your vice is a locked room too but he used Edgar Allan Poe instead because that was kind of like a, a Poe adaptation anyway so well, that was one of the translations on the cards too the yes. title for his future film, which I thought was kind of cool. Yeah, that was like the second batch of flowers that said something about, you know, I know you were trying to escape, but your vice is a closed room from within, which, and only I have the key. Yeah, which makes a lot more sense in this movie than it did as the title for that other movie. <laughs> right. I, I still don't understand. Right. Yeah. <laughs> what was her vice? What was the vice in your vice? Anyway, like, how did that even apply? Yeah, who's it directed at? Who's the your? The vice in that one is that behind closed doors, she's a minx. Well, I don't know. Um, but honestly, the one thing this movie really made me want to do is watch Torso. <laughs> so, <laughs> I don't know. I'm sure Eric could back me up on that one. But um, another that's, thing... That's another one of those, though. It's like... Loved everything, you know, the music, the the visuals, and everything. But there's still something about parts of that plot that are just like, whoa, okay. The music for me wasn't amazing. I like the main theme, but pretty much everything else in this, all the other music in this, is kind of like lackluster for me. 
Yeah. Um, but, but, what the, it, but what is the main theme, though? I was trying to figure that out. Like the the music that they play at the beginning when the car is driving down the street, that's not the main theme. The theme that they play when Jean and Julie are having these flashbacks, that, that that's the theme that gets reused in Kill Bill. I don't know that that's the main theme either. I think the theme that they play at the very end and the theme that they play when um, George is riding on the motorcycle with Julie on his back, I think that mm-hmm. might be the main theme. Um, I didn't mind the music so much. It's not Morricone or Bruno Nicolai. It's uh, uh, Orlandi. Um, so it's a little bit different than we're used to with most of these films as far as it being quality. Um, but, you know... It, yeah, it's not. It's certainly not a soundtrack that um, I would seek out and listen to without the movie going. Uh, compared yeah. to say, there's there's like um, the the one for Forbidden Photos or um, uh, I forget what other ones are really good, but um, you know it 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 was it was done well. I think in in most cases they the thing about these giallo soundtracks is that um, they have a hard time in trying to find a balance between having enough variation on the themes um, so that it doesn't become redundant and reused over and over again but then if they have too many themes then it doesn't really have kind of a cohesive musical connection to the to the film itself like um, that's why sister versa is the best theme that's in the world. exactly it just <laughs> it keeps coming back it just well, it's just it's just like eyeball eyeball has that one theme well eyeball is amazing and um you know i can't think of any other other music from eyeball and the same thing with um case of the well, no yeah. The Bloody Iris one, yeah, that's, yeah. that one's over that and over again. It's like, but it's different every time. It's yeah. like either a little faster or a little slower. Um, but another thing that Mr. Martino said was that there were a lot of boobies in this movie, and a lot of um, kind of heavy on the makeout sesh. And um, he said if he were to shoot it again today, it would be a lot different. But he said back then he had to shoot enough stuff to make the producers happy. But he also had to shoot extra stuff that he knew would get cut out just so the censors would feel like they cut something out of the movie. So, like, the shot where it's, like, above the couch looking down at them, like, he never intended for that to be in the movie, and that was (laughs) never in his cut. It never got cut out. Yeah, but he put that in there because he knew the censors would cut it out. And if they cut that out, they would leave other stuff in. Nice. So he, and he said that um, he did it on Mountain of the Cannibal God or whatever as well. And um, both of those movies, when they were re-released, had all the scenes that he never intended to actually be in the movie on the DVD. And he's kind of bummed out about that. I'm bummed out about it too. Oh, poor Eric. Well, I no. didn't like uh, I didn't like the one scene, the one sex scene where they were in the boat. I didn't think it 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 was like here's an opportunity to to show Edwidge in a bathing suit and probably a two piece. I'm assuming, and there was mm-hmm. there wasn't a single picture of her. She looked really good. 
in the boat, like her a close up of her face against this when very it was white. Like the, when it was the POV of George. Yeah, it was. That's like one of the best she's ever looked. Oh yeah, absolutely. Just amazing. She looked really good in the um, the blue uh, colored uh, robe that she put on uh, after she got home for the first time and started the the bathtub, and then somebody knocked on the door. It was the porter. She, for some reason, she looked really good. That was when she looked through the that, that little that picture of her looking through the people. Yeah. But that scene when they were out in the boat, I mean, it reminds me of the scene where um, George Hilton and Anita Strangeberger are out on the boat when they're in Spain, and uh, there's lots of pictures of her in her bikini um, and her fake boobs, and you know, like Edwidge doesn't have fake boobs; she doesn't need them. No. They were looking from Billy. Um, but that brings <laughs> us to one of my favorite portions. <laughs> Hold it right there. It's a fashion piece. <laughs> so there are... The, the one thing about this movie that really um, grinds my gears, shall Let's we hear. say is that it feels like there are two different um, costume designers on this movie. Hmm. And it also feels like the movie was shot once, and then they went back and shot more. Because there's wardrobe choices that are fucking ridiculous, and then there's wardrobe choices that are amazing. And I know the same person would not have picked this stuff for the same characters. So, let me dive into this head first here. When Julie is at the party, she's wearing this god-awful blue dress and has her hair up in, like, some Victorian bun. And not only does she look ridiculous, but she looks completely out of place to everyone else at the party. Yeah, because everybody else looked pretty hip. You well, know, for, except for that particular the time, in, the hippie guy in the green Cosby sweater, but everybody else at that I party. I don't remember him. Oh, he's ridiculous. <laughs> he's got a Hulk Hogan mustache and long blonde hair and this, like, thick-ass knit fucking green sweater. Oh, but wow. I like the I like the paper dresses and the girls that tear them off of that one was another. A, so it's such a great scene. But that whole thing is great, <laughs> except for her. She looks... Like she just walked off of Pride and Prejudice or something. She's terrible. Took a wrong turn. She looked awful. Okay, so that just doesn't make any sense to me. But then she starts wearing some cool shit again. But then she puts on this weird gypsy skirt with this weird gypsy shawl and this see-through shirt, which was the see-through shirt was okay and no bra. That that was not a. <laughs> But the skirt and the shawl, she looked like she just fell off a wagon that was going to a fucking fair in the middle of fucking Viseria and was going to go see the Wolfman or something. It was awful. But her boots were okay, so I kind of looked past it. Yeah. Now, Carol looked great in everything she had on except the dress she got killed in. The dress she got killed in was along the lines of the um, Victorian bullshit that they had Julie in. And it was really nauseating. 
and I forgot to check what her hair looked like, but if you notice, Carol's hair is completely different colors from the movie to the her weird dream sequences where Carol's laughing and it's got blood on her hands. Yeah. Her hair is longer and completely blonde, whereas in the rest of the movie it's like kind of dirty blonde and a lot shorter, which also made me feel like maybe parts of this were shot at a later date because uh, that was just bizarre. But um, Carol's red outfit... Um, with the weird clasps and the funny hat. Uh, amazing. The overcoat that the girl who got killed in the shower had on when she got out of the car and went upstairs. Yeah. Super snazzy coat. Liked that. George Hilton's boots, when he was riding the motorcycle, were spot on. Those were amazing boots. But I think... Did you like his uh, white white belt? That's what I was just going to get to here. <laughs> well, not the belt, but um, a close second to the worst fucking god-awful thing in this whole movie was his ridiculous white fucking western wear <laughs> top jacket with tassels Yes, that he was trying to like pick up on people in. Like he was a cool motherfucker wearing that goddamn thing. <laughs> and was completely out of place. He looked like a fucking idiot. And um, no wonder she was put off by him. You know, she tried to say um, it was his attitude, but it was that fucking coat, dude. I'm watching it like now. like a fucking idiot. See, I can see where it's all You're right. <laughs> it's so hideous. It's like, but then later when she's like, crying and not crying but saying that they shouldn't be seen together anymore he's got on this like kind of cool black woven polo shirt that I was like ooh I would like one of those shirts but um and then like she goes from like super mod in her super mod apartment to like very hippie-ish and like the black or dark blue really short dress she has on when she's running through Spain with all the red and orange crap on the front of it yeah. I go back and forth if I like that because I like the cut but I hate that fucking red and orange bit on top I think the reason I don't like that outfit is because she's wearing flats oh my god she runs like a fucking like special <laughs> Olympics kid and I'm not trying to be mean but like Watching her fucking trot, like gallop, like a fucking dying mule in her fucking Jesus sandals. She, like, runs, like, flat-footed, like she's a fucking giant duck or something. See, that's... I was watching that scene, and I'm like, this is where, you know, you could tell a really good director from a director who just wants to get the shot. It's like, just... I don't care. Just fucking run. Do your thing. She that weird, yeah, that weird uh, flapping. I'm gonna be over arms. here. You just run like he should have, like had like the camera, like in the back of a truck or something, like really, like tips up on her. Yeah, like something Martino does great, but when it comes to actual directing someone running, he just couldn't give a shit. It looked like <laughs> so bad. Um, 
By the way, did we did we talk about this before? The idea that why do these girls get out of the tub with soap all over them? That and... drives me crazy. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we have talked about that. <laughs> when Carol got out of the bath, she had soap all over or whatever, and she, she puts put the little on. robe thing on. She puts that that weird robe top, which was super hot, by the way. But she's sitting there scratching her armpit for like a half hour, like <laughs> talking to her, like when I got this rash here because I keep getting out of the bathtub with soap on. Yeah, I don't. But, I don't. Um, <laughs> I guess something to do with wiping yourself off with a towel is probably like the least sexiest thing you can picture someone doing. I don't know, man, because it looked good until she was like going to town on her armpit. No. <laughs> watch, and then like they, I'm watching that scene they, right now. They didn't even cut back that. to it, and like the soap's gone from her arm, and her hand's still in her armpit. <laughs> still so, scratching like, the shoulder. <laughs> oh my god, it's funny. It's ridiculous. But then but she then, takes like, that off and puts something else ooh, on. Yeah. She takes her underpants out of the out of the oven. Yeah, because she's not gonna wear cold underwear. She hates cold undies. Dude, no. Dude. She's got it all fucking going on, dude. I don't get it, man. It's funny. Oh, so anyway, um, that's one of the issues that I do have with this film is that every there's so many things about this movie that are modern, but then every once in a while it just feels like they get lazy and throw whatever on somebody. And um, I don't know. But other than that... This so we have some long. inconsistent fashion, basically. The fashion is extreme. Maybe they just let them wear what they came in off the street wearing. Like, George Hilton probably owned that tassel coat. And he's like, Did I'm going to wear this. Fucking Arizona, the kid strikes back <laughs> against <laughs> the Apache. It's the fucking <laughs> most god-awful thing I've ever seen. <laughs> And he was like trying to act all cool, and I was like, oh my god, this is painful. And now he's carving a G into an apple, and that looks like shit. <laughs> oh. <laughs> this poor fucking guy. He needs to get. He teaches me new tricks every time I watch him. Oh. Awful. I do, I do like his shirt in the sh- in the showdown scene at the end. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He looks like. A, he looks amazing in the showdown at the end. Looks pretty cool. Yeah. But um, Ivan's jackets he has on most of the time are amazing. Ivan always looks cool as shit in whatever he's in. He does. Oh, those steely blue eyes. Even with his weird fucking orangey, brassy hair. Yeah. (laughs) So many times his hair makes it look like the top of his head's flat. Like he's got a square head. (laughs) He does look like a cartoon character quite a bit. Yeah. You know what he looks like? He looks like fucking Bruce Lee. Oh, yeah. Like, they, there's this one shot in there that's like a close... Or when the guy punches him, when he's first talking to Edwidge in her stupid Victorian outfit. And then he, like, looks at him and he, like, goes, Heh, 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 <laughs> It's like a total, like, heh, uh, kill my brother. <laughs> like, he looks like he's out of a kung fu movie. But he's, like, one of my favorites. I love... Like, whenever he comes on the screen, I get super excited. He's great. But anyhow, so that is the strange vice of Mrs. Ward. And, um... It's a very strange vice. It's a very strange vice, very strange movie. If you like boobs, it's a fun one. Um, 
if you want to also see the um, the special no-no place of an Edwidge, you can see it from the aerial shot above the couch. If anyone in here was curious. So now I think that we've covered pretty much all of the major Martino Jolly. So which one is everyone's favorite? Is it torso? I would have to say torso for me. Um, I'm just not a huge Susie fan. Yeah. Yeah, I like torso a lot. Um, Susie? That was the first oh, time I saw it, right. so I might have to go back and you know watch it again after seeing these ones. I think Scorpion's Tail kind of surprised me how much I yeah. like that. Um, and this one is actually not too bad. Um, They're all really different, too, which yeah, is interesting. Are. Like, all the colors of the dark is so different than all of these other films. Yeah. Even though it's the same guys. Yeah. That one, all I, the colors really of the dark story. should be my favorite. Like, yeah. it has everything in it that I like. But for some reason, it's just not that great. Like, I like Miss Ward a lot. But I wish she had more outfits like she had in All the Colors of the Dark. Because if one thing All the Colors of the Dark has... It has her looking amazing 90% of the time. Yeah, totally. I am a big fan of that. I'm going to give that another watch. She's, ama- she's amazing looking in um, uh, Case of the Bloody Iris, too, which is not yeah, a that's volcano. That's hands down. It's not. But um, he, I think he had something to do with that, though. It feels in like the he inter- did. It's almost like in the, the exact interview, same movie. Uh, yeah, in the interview thing I was watching, he made it sound like, I don't know if he produced it or if he wrote it or what happened, but he acted like that was one of his movies. Hmm. And um, But, dude, like, hands down, that is my favorite um, Edwidge. It's, like, tied with Strip Nude for, like, the best Edwidge shit. Now, there is a, a Martino film from 75 called the, the, the Suspicious Death of a Minor, which I've never seen. Uh, Ernesto Gastaldi is credited with the screenplay, and he's pretty much the guy who's written all the screenplays for all these other yeah. films. Um, it's uh, considered kind of the unofficial sixth entry into Sergio Martino's Jolly. So that should be... An interesting that should, should be worth, watch it. that should be worth a watch. But there was another one too that Martino did. That Scorpion has two tails, I think. Um, from nineteen, let's say, uh, eighty-two. I thought that was Baba. The Scorpion with two tails from eighty-two. Yeah, so that was uh, oh. that, <clears throat> that was um, Martino returning to the Jolly, I think. Um, Ernesto Gastaldi again credited with the screenplay. So there's a couple more here um, yeah. that we haven't really. They're kind of fringe, you know, um, and not well, necessarily. Even, even Martino said in that interview that the reason why he didn't continue making Jolly is that he knew how repetitive and stale his ideas for Jalo were already becoming. Right. So, like, the fact that he 
was like, wow, I'm making like the same movie over and over again. Maybe I should go back to sex comedies. Because <laughs> those are always different. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so uh, there's there's definitely a lot more to play with. Um, but and ever since like, because I mean we banged out all the Edward all the other Edwidge movies like within the first like fifteen episodes I think. And I was sitting here going, "Fuck, man! There's gonna come a day when we do Miss Ward, uh-huh. and there won't be any more Edwidge to do." But now wow. the top sensations kind of a thing, right? Um, I don't feel well, so bad. We probably shouldn't do that as fifty-one then, because we'll need to. Well, fuck you, sir. We'll need to save it a little bit because if we <laughs> if we do that if we do that one right after Deep Red, then there really won't be any more Edwidge. Oh, so sad. Okay, well anyway, so there's that. But since you bring it up, next time it's going to be episode 50, and it's going to be Deep Red. The big one. You said, the big one. And um, there's going to be so much going on. Chris is going to give a bunch of stuff away. I am? Yes, I am. Yeah, all sorts of stuff. And um, we have a big announcement on that show, I guess, that we'll make. So oh, we, that's right. we just we just hitchcocked you until the next episode. Not to be confused with cock. With, never mind. Cock walking you. We'll do a little bit of that too. Yeah. In fact, if you're listening to the show, chances are. Um, cock blocking isn't something you need to worry about because you probably aren't getting a whole lot if you're listening to three dudes talk about Edwidge's goodies. <laughs> so <laughs> get out there and find a real woman. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, so other than that, um, that was that movie. I liked it. Um, but yeah, so Deep Red next time and we'll get to hear me bitch about all sorts of stuff, and then we'll hear these two <laughs> sing crazy with the greatest movie that was ever made. So it'll be super fun. So you don't even have to tune in now. Creep just totally told everybody what, what was going to happen. Or just no. go listen to when I talked about it to myself. Right. 100 Years of Horror. Then I don't even have to show up. There you go. Just play that. Like hit play and stop and play and stop. Yes. Yeah, that would be awesome. Would be you take the 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 podcast from Hundred Years of Horror, put it on your phone, and play that through the speaker of your phone into your microphone for this one. Mm-hmm. And then put your little friend, your little, friend, your yeah. little friend in the basement with you. Put him in front of the camera. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And we'll just go, yes, yes, Eric, yes. Yeah. He's, yeah. he's kind of a fame whore, so he would he kind of misses the spotlight. Yeah. Well, right on, guys. So that's that, and until next time, we will say ciao, ciao, everyone. Ciao, ciao. Ciao, ciao. For now and for later. Oh, you, you fucking ruined it. I was doing a rhyming thing. <laughs>